All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Anistas? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. WTF, welcome to it. How's it going? Whew, man, I was away all weekend. I do, if I go away for two days, I feel like I've been on a fucking space mission, man. I mean, I guess I kind of have. Have I? Look, I... I can barely remember yesterday. That's what's happening. I don't know if it's by virtue of the fact of technology, engagement, exhaustion, uh, mental. I, I don't know what it is. But each day, as it goes by, as it gets behind me, feels very far away. I think it has something to do with travel, really. That's why I'm saying uh, it, all travel is space travel. But let's not, let's not, I'm not going to mentally noodle right away come on man there's business to be had to be taken care of i'll be at jfl 42 in toronto on thursday september 19th at the sony center for the performing arts sounds big right it is get some tickets will you i'm at the vic theater in chicago on september 20th that's sold out i don't know why i keep saying it maybe it's just so i can say that's sold out and then i'll be at the masonic temple in detroit on saturday september 21st which I'm excited about. That is actually in Detroit. It's not outside Detroit. It's in there, and I haven't been there before. And I've heard there's some cool shit. After Detroit, I'll be at the Pantages Theater in Minneapolis on Sunday, September 22nd. I always enjoy going there. I think we'll have a good time. I think some of the people who live there might have seen me at, at Acme not too long ago, but it's always different. It's always different with me. Like last night or the night before last, in Seattle, I was battling ghosts on stage. Yeah, that happens occasionally. You're going to tell me I'm not a space traveler? Are you going to honestly look me in the eye and say, you're no astronaut? Are you going to do that? No. Listen, I have, it looks like I have more business to deal with. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, basically, it's just that I wanted to uh, to make sure you know that all of my tour dates, can find them all at uh, wtfpod.com slash tour. Uh, you'll see I've added some Dynasty typewriter dates here in Los Angeles for October 5th and 6th before I head to Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and Boston the following week. Now, not to disappoint anybody but me, really, I do not believe we will be shooting the special in Boston. Looks like we're going to have to move that because we got to... There's, there's some... There's some things we want to do with cameras that we can't do in there, so it's going to be, it might be a different trip. It might be a different, uh, we might be looking at a different uh, joint, different space, different option. I, 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 I'm pretty sure about that, but I don't think that should, is that going to piss you people off? I mean, is that going to be like, well, that's the only reason I was going. Marin hasn't been back to Boston in a couple of years, but if I can't be on camera, the back of my head, fuck them. I'm not going, but uh, I'll let you know for sure. Okay, I don't I don't know for sure. I want to thank everyone in Vancouver and Seattle for coming out. That was exciting, right? That in that is like space travel, isn't it? Well, let me explain. Like, okay, so last week I'm here, I'm doing the things, I'm recording, I'm doing my stuff, right? Then on Friday, I take off, I fly to Vancouver, I get there in the early afternoon, I check into, I think honestly my my favorite hotel in the world i don't even know why i can't explain it to you but the rosewood georgia in vancouver in downtown vancouver is just the fucking nicest place i've ever stayed it's got nothing to do with nothing it's a fairly high-end hotel but there's just something about it i think it's an old place i think it was a renovated place i think elvis might have stayed there which doesn't you know automatically make it a good thing or that he, he like i think there's a 50 50 chance he left some fairly negative energies in the uh, in, in the bricks at that place i don't know what went on there but i think it was the kind of place at in an earlier time but that being said it doesn't matter there's just something about the rooms they are so quiet and peaceful and there's something about the beds and this isn't even a paid, paid advertisement i travel to a lot of hotels and there's just something magic about that place i get there i feel better the food's okay and everything else is a nice looking place. I can't even fucking explain it to you. And I'm not going to say that it's, it, they, maybe it's like uh, in a blanket of warm spirits. 
I don't know what it is. There's just something about the peace of mind to get at that joint. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that every time I go to fucking Canada, I am so relieved to be out of the psychic garbage that is infusing the very air we breathe in this country. Just the day-to-day onslaught, torrential sideways downpour of... uh, of hateful bullshit, the never-ending juggernaut that's got everyone a little, a little fidgety, a little aggravated, a little nervous. It's just seeping into our pores. So maybe it's got something to do with that. Maybe I should take that into consideration. I think the first time I stayed at that place was even earlier on into this, this fucking evil mud that we're walking through on a day-to-day basis. And I, I mean that in a psychic way. Psychic hot mud is what we're dealing with. So maybe just the fact that I get to Vancouver and it's a nice bed, I'm like, this is heaven, Canada. But I, you know, but it was nice. Charlie Demers uh, opened for me. We went out for some Greek food, talked it out, worked out some shit, shared some stories, got to the venue, laid it down. And it was fucking great. It was a great show, great people. Uh, love Jules Leather. They, they brought me, uh, Jules and Josh brought me some shoes that I'm going to wear with my suit when I have to wear my suit. Hopefully, maybe when I get to go to the premiere of the Joker movie, which won the big, uh, the big, uh, the big lion prize in Venice. I'm only in one scene, but it's exciting. Something's exciting, man. Feels exciting to me. Sort of trust you can watch still. Anyway, so that was Vancouver. But you know, you just go and I'm in, I'm in Canada. We're doing the thing one night and then I go to sleep in the fancy Rosewood uh, Georgia Hotel, I wake up, have some nice breakfast, and then I go to the airport and I fly to Seattle. Seattle is the magic city of grayness. It's not light magic. It's not dark magic. It's just gray magic, just a bunch of weird poetic possibilities and a sort of ill-defined sense of uh, <laughs> social structure in Seattle. It's clearly a lot of tech money, a lot of nerd money, a lot of money in general, but there's also a, a kind of... Uh, wild ass progressive streak nice balance of people getting all kinds of interesting people but i performed at the moore theater which is fucking haunted man it's one of these 19 early 1900 vaudeville joints it's like it's pretty it's kind of like complicated inside a lot of trails and paths and tunnels and shit and during the show i guess in after the fact, the lights were fucking going on and off a little bit. Like, you know, ghosts can go fuck themselves. I'm not a huge believer in ghosts. I'm not saying they don't exist. But generally, are they really that frightening? They're fucking, you know, disembodied spirits, folks. I mean, are they really making that much trouble? I mean, I'd like to think that the ghosts at the moor, when they're fucking with the lights and making weird sounds uh, stage left, that um, they were enjoying themselves. I'm going to frame it that way. You can tell me different. Because if they were trying to scare me, they didn't. I think they were just having a good time. But there's that 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 space is a little little heavy in the gray magic. A lot of possibilities in the Moore Theater. There's a few theaters like that. I did one, the Carnegie Library in in, in Pittsburgh. That place is haunted to fuck, like just bad news haunted. Like they don't even want you there. I think that's what it was called. I've never had a more tangible. Is it tangible? I want visceral experience of just bad juju than that joint man just sort of like the ghosts are like dude we're sleeping get the fuck out you know we've had it with this people and you know bodies that are occupied with souls you know get the fuck out this is not your party this is our space now that there's that vibe so the show is great in seattle uh l sanchez opened for me uh they were good that, you know, it's a weird thing about that. You know, she told me, oh, see, I just did it. I just did it. But that's habit. You can break habit. You just got to lock in. Got to lock in. Got to lock into those pronouns that seem uh, uh, different than what you brain and face wants to say. So the world continues to end. Life continues to go on. It's getting hot. It's getting hot, folks. Did I mention that Bruce Dern is on the show today? Fucking Bruce Dern. That's going to happen. You're going to get that in your head in a minute. Saw an old friend up in Seattle. My old buddy, Lauren. Lauren the welder from New Jersey. Lauren. Yeah. This is a woman I've known since college. I've talked about her before. 
She's a profound uh, influence on my life. And now we've known each other. Jesus Christ. We've probably known each other 86, 96, 2006, 2000, like almost 35 years. She knew me before I did comedy when I was a college kid wearing the long coat with the round glasses and the second hand shirts. Yes. Lauren. Hadn't seen her in about four or five years. Always kept up with her. It's so, it's wild, man. You kids. You kids with your friends. Wait till you've had friends for 35 years. It's crazy. It's What's wild is you check in with the frequency, man. You know, it's like, I haven't seen her in a long time, but we've always, we've always seen each other on and off over time. But, uh, but it'd been a while and I, they, her and her husband, Vincent came to the show and we went out to dinner after and, you know, it just, uh, you know, there's, when you know somebody that long, either you're going to tap into the frequency or you're not like either the frequency holds up or it doesn't. Do you know? Like if you've known, you know, you know, people a long time, you know, you don't, you don't keep up with their lives. You don't know what they're up to. You don't know. You, you probably don't, might not know anything about what their lives have been like for the last decade or whatever in any nuance, but usually you can tap into that frequency that defined your relationship with that person. There, there's a, a connection there, a wire that just needs to be attached. And you're like, there they are. You know, you just kind of pull away the age the you know whatever's happened over time their life and it just kind of it kind of pulls back and it enables you to connect to that frequency that you you had with that person and it's it's a beautiful thing really it it doesn't that 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 fundamental thing doesn't really change that much i mean people change and there's a weight to it that shifts you know given whatever people go through in their lives but that that weird fundamental connection if you can get it back it's kind of beautiful it's a spark of some kind that holds up it's sad when it goes away it's sad when you know somebody from way back and you see him again and you're like ah the wire won't connect i don't think i don't we can't connect it's nice to see you but i'm sorry that the wire the wire's just not hooking up buddy I, you don't have to say that to him obviously but it's a little it's a little depressing when that happens but uh that didn't happen with lauren I talk like that because that's how she talks. I don't know if she'd be happy if uh, I made fun of her like that, but it's not really making fun. I, it's, I see it as a homage, an homage to her New Jersey-ness. Um, but she doesn't listen anyway, so it's no big deal. So that's uh, I think that's it. I did almost two hours, both shows. And, it, they, you know, they got loopy. This no nicotine thing. Two weeks yesterday with the no nicotine. And, whew, yeah, it's a little loopy, a little loopy. Little loopy still. And I still want it, man. And I'm eating. But uh, I think I'm going to hold out. I think I'm going to be all right. So, look, there's a Bruce Dern movie. He's in a lot of movies right now. But I just uh, watched the new movie Freaks. It's kind of a sci-fi trippy thing. He plays kind of a creepy uh, ice cream man that turns out not to be creepy. But turns out I can't really explain it to you. It's just, It's slightly... Sci-fi-ish, but not like techno sci-fi. More like, um, are those people real sci-fi? Who's in charge sci-fi? Uh, you know, uh, Emil Hirsch is in it, and uh, it's a it's a it's an interesting little indie movie. But Dern is also in everything. You know, he had that uh, Oscar-nominated turn a couple years back in Nebraska. He plays Spawn, old man Spawn at the Spawn Ranch, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's he's always in a movie. Bruce Dern is, but he's one of the legends. He's one of the guys from back in the day, and he's got a head full of that history, and it, it's pretty intact. The head full is intact. So uh, this is me and the legendary Bruce Dern. You've done, uh, you know, I, more movies than almost anybody. Well, <laughs> at this point, I've done over a hundred. <laughs> I think. At this point, do you just uh, how do you decide? Well, uh, I'm having a string of luck in the last since the movie Nebraska. Oh I yeah, had a, uh, that kind of made people rediscover that I had some game. Yeah, and now it's just a question of enduring. Yeah. You know, I'm 83, but uh, if I hadn't broke my hip, I'd be racing this week. But uh, Racing on a bike? 
No, no, a, a running race. Yeah? I was a big runner in school, and I and went to the Olympic Games in 56 at 800 meters for America. Where was the, where was the Olympics in 56? Melbourne. Yeah? Yeah. And how'd you do? Uh, I didn't make it to the final. Oh, but that's exciting, yeah. huh? Well, you have to run four races, and you yeah. got to be in the top nine in every race. I was in the top nine and three in the fourth one. I didn't qualify <laughs> for the final. But you still do it. Oh, yeah. And your knees are all right? Still run, yeah, it's not my knees. The only, I tore my quadricep uh, yeah. 12 years ago. Yeah. And then last fall, running a race at the Silver Lake Reservoir, I tripped and fell and landed on my hip. And, yeah. And um, that was it. I didn't have to have a replacement. I just had to have the femur fixed. Yeah. But it's taken eight months. It's, it's so, annoying, huh? But now I'm, you know, it's just... I've been sitting all day during interviews and then to drive all the way over here from Beverly Hills where we were just sitting in one place or standing one place. Yeah. And red carpets now are a nightmare because, uh, I mean, now that I'm, you know, lose my balance a little yeah. bit, but otherwise I'm fine. Have you been talking mostly about this new movie Freaks or have you been talking about uh, yeah. Once Upon a Time? Well, today was Freaks, so yeah. I, I couldn't weasel anything in, you know. Yeah, well, Freaks, but, I watched Freaks. I watched it. You guys, And my co-star in Emil? Freaks is Emil yeah. Hirsch. Yeah, you guys acted the shit out of that thing. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You're both in uh, Once Upon a Time in America, too. I knew. Did you know Jay at all, Sebring? No, it's a little before my time. Had you, like, well, that's what I want to ask you. How old are you, 55? Exactly. Really? Yeah, exactly 55. You knew Jay? Oh, yeah. Did you know all those cats up there? I know. Bernie Sapphire was my best friend for a long time. Which one's he? Bernie Sapphire? Yeah. Oh, he wasn't in that uh, yeah. Manson thing. He yeah. still cuts hair. Yeah? Oh, oh the character. He and yeah. Vidal uh, Sassoon were the two big guys yeah. at the time. And then um, Jay was uh, big until 69. Yeah. And he was gone. And then John Peters kind of came in and took over with... Uh, uh, two or three other guys, Gene Shakov, and, uh -huh. uh, and it was like an old group. They're they're not there anymore. No, I no, mean, it's, it's that whole uh, way of hairdressing. Is yeah, it was you, because would, that was as much for guys as it was for girls. Oh yeah, yeah, it was a it was a big thing. There were these high style salons, and they were led by a guy, and that guy usually ended up making a brand of shampoo, right? Or Paul Mitchell. Yeah, Paul Mitchell. Sebring had a brand. But do you, when when I watch that movie because I, I'm sort of nostalgic. But did that? Did you saw it? You saw the film, obviously, Once Upon a Time in America, yeah. or in Hollywood. I mean, is that the Hollywood you remember to some degree? Uh well, that was uh, the smaller uh, town, right? Oddly enough, uh, what Leo goes through in the movie. Yeah, I went through way before I ever started in movies. I was panicked that it was passing me by. Uh, in the late 60s and that was right then because everybody was emerging yeah warren was already a movie star Warren was a movie yeah. star or, george no, fucking yeah. hamilton hamilton was a movie star <laughs> george uh, and we were a little we were younger than tab hunter and yeah them, so we were the kind of the next generation yeah and everybody was making it but jack and me and harry dean yeah and uh then uh Jack also wrote. Yeah. So he directed a movie that he wrote, and then he worked for Roger Corman all the time. Yeah. And uh, Harry Dean sang because he came to Hollywood with the American Boys Chorus. Right. So he was like kind of a and a good singer. Yeah, he I mean, sang all the way until cool the Hand Luke. Yeah. He sings that song in yeah. the back of the truck to the yeah. mother. And um, so that was nice. The hardest thing now is um, the guys that didn't make it to eighty. Yeah. You know, I mean, Jack's here, I'm here. Jack doesn't want to work anymore. And I don't know, his his whole theory is, you know, unless it's better than something I've done, why? <laughs> you know? No, but it's, it's I good. see his point of view. Of course. You know? Hey, what, what, he's done it all. What does he need to uh, yeah. show up to help no, somebody he, out for? He doesn't, I don't think he misses it. Yeah. The one thing he would like to do is direct, uh -huh. and nobody ever offers him anything direct. Oh, he directed me in a movie, and, and I, won drive, said, said, yeah. I won the National Film Credit. I won the National Film Credit for it. Yeah. What was he like as a director back then? He was, was it? good. Oh, he yeah. Was, yeah, he was fabulous, because he was, uh, he had, uh, we did it, just as Five Easy Peace was open. Yeah. 
and uh, we did it in the summer of 71. And uh, well, not the summer. We went up to Oregon to shoot it at Mac Court, and we started shooting the day after Oregon just broke UCLA's 87-game running streak that Saturday night. So it was up crazy there in Eugene. Yeah. So uh, they were just everybody was everywhere. And yeah. these, uh, because I was a runner, Steve Prefontaine was there then. He was a great runner. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. But he's only a freshman in college then. Right. Uh, he'd gone to Marshfield High School, which is a couple, I don't know, 20 miles away toward the ocean. But he's already a star. Uh, he well, he broke the four minute mile in high school. Oh wow! Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't keep up with running as much as I no, should. No, but I mean yeah. that was a big deal. Like, yeah. Yeah. It didn't live. It didn't live. Seventeen year old kid to do it. Yeah. It didn't live long enough to. Just tragic. But uh, Hollywood was. Yeah. It was very. Uh, you know, we were lucky in a way. First of all, my generation when we came. Yeah. Um, when did you come? I came uh, in '58 to Broadway. Yeah. In early 59, Mr. Kazan put me under contract. He had five of us. Yeah. Rip Torn, Pat Hingle, yeah, Pat Bruce Hingle. Dern, yeah. Geraldine Page, and Lee Remick. Uh-huh. And Lee was immediately a star. Yeah. Because Kazan went to Arkansas to make A Face in the Crowd, the movie yeah. A Face sure. in the Crowd. Sure, Andy Griffith. And she, he used the Pine uh, Bluff marching band and yeah. she was the head majorette lee <laughs> and he picked her out of that put her in that movie and that was her debut yeah a year later she was in that movie that uh the old judge was in judge welch uh, the anatomy of a murder uh-huh and she was introduced yeah with ben gazara and right yeah, yeah all the other people in. and uh so she was a star and the rest of us uh you know uh pat hengel was a was just a fabulous actor well he's a great and, character actor he's around forever oh, he's in uh, everything uh, he did, uh, my uncle wrote a play, and I had no, uh, my uncle never had anything to do with me and Gadge getting together, but my uncle is Archibald McLeish. Oh, yeah. And he wrote a play called J.B., yeah. and Gadge directed it, yeah. and it starred Pat Hingle and uh, Tyne Daly's dad, uh-huh. James, James Daly. Yeah. And uh, that was, I was still in college yeah and 56 was my second year at Penn I went to Penn yeah and uh I was a phenom in high school and I uh what as an actor or as no, a, as, oh I as never a, acted oh, just a runner after I quit yeah. running and the fall of uh the Olympics in 56 were in October November because they were in Australia right and that's their summer yeah so uh I came back very disillusioned I quit college and I didn't know what to do, but I started going to a lot of movies. And uh, I started to say, Jesus, I, I'd like to learn to be able to do that. Yeah. How do they do that? Yeah. So I found a little dramatic school in Philadelphia. And uh, my teacher was an actor studio member, uh-huh. but had moved back to Philadelphia because he wasn't getting work as what, an actor. Like the original actor studio so, with the, yeah, with no, the original. New York? So yeah. he took me to New York to audition for mm-hmm. the actor studio. And uh, there were there were uh, three things you had to do. Yeah, you had to go to New York. Yeah, you had to try and work for Mr. Kazan. Yeah, and try and become a member of the Actors Studio. Those were the three things you did. When we finally got out here, we were lucky because we still got to work with the legends. Right. So wait, Kazan came out of the Group Theater, the People's. What was it called the, before the, the group Studio? Theater. Yeah, yeah, New York. And then it became that the group became yeah, the, the Actors Studio. Studio. Right. So, okay, so you when you went to New York, did you audition for Strasburg or who was no, there? No, no, I, I went to New York uh, from Philadelphia. Yeah. We went right to the actor's studio. Yep. And we auditioned. My teacher played the part of me. We did Waiting for Godot. Uh-huh. And, which is just dialogue back sure, and forth. Sure, sure, you know? yeah, yeah. And so it was perfect yeah. because I, I, was, I never really knew how to act, so I had no bad habits. Yeah. So uh, the night I went, because Gordon was a member... Gordon was, it, was a finals night, oh, right. yeah. So both Gadge and Lee and Cheryl Crawford, who were the three people that ran the studio, Gadge is uh, Kazan, yeah, uh, Ilya Kazan, yeah, sure, and uh, Lee Strasberg, yeah, and uh, Cheryl Crawford, right, who had founded with Bobby Lewis the Group Theater, right. And now she was an old, uh, she uh, was the first woman I ever saw wore business suits, yeah. <laughs> so, and Kazan's wife uh, Molly 
was quite a bright young Vassar lady who was not had not crossed the street physically, but mentally she was totally across the street. Yeah. And so she was a big person in that kind of movement, but she was also arts and crafts. Yeah, and sure. One of her best friends was De Niro's dad. Oh, yeah. Who was a well-known painter, uh, painter in yeah. the village. Yeah. And uh, so... Uh, so you made it right to the final audition. Yeah. And, 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 and all, so, they were no, all there. So I went in yeah. and uh, I didn't have, I just did an audition mm-hmm. that night. And uh, he, uh, Mr. Strasburg said, thank you, Mr. Dern. And Gadge said to me as I walked back with my friend Gordon Phillips, he said, "Uh, I want you in my office Monday morning at 10 o'clock, okay? Yeah. You'll find my office. Yeah. And I said, okay. Uh, Didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. So when I went outside, I was the last audition tonight. Lee Strasburg came out and he said, you're in the actor's studio. You know that. Yeah. I said, how do I know? He said, we haven't seen work like yours. Huh. We'd like to kind of make you our our Frankenstein. Well, that's exciting. So, so you're in. Uh, I said, really? Well, what am I going to do? He said, we want you to work as often as you can here. And uh, if you have to erase names, because everybody wants to work. You only do two scenes a week, Tuesday, and two other scenes Friday. Right. And that's for 45 people. Yeah. So everybody wants to work because that's what you're there for. Sure. It's not a place to learn how to act. Yeah. It's a place, it's a hospital (laughs) to work on what you don't do well. That's really the whole premise of the actor's studio. And I'm in there, and I'm in there. There's Eli Wallach, and there's... so, And I have a Marilyn story, too, right out of that. But anyway... She was there? Yeah, well, she studied privately with Lee. Right. And Paula Strasberg, Lee's wife, and Susan's mother, um, was... uh, uh, her confidant and went with her on all her locations. She yeah. was like her acting coach. Sure. You know? In those days, a lot of people had one. Yeah. Monty Clift had one named Mira Rostova, uh-huh. who was from the Moscow Art Theater. Oh, wow. And uh, he got into uh, trouble with Mr. Hitchcock about or her, but uh, that's another story. So anyway, I said, okay, I went to Gadge's office, and he said, let me tell you what's going on with you, okay? You don't have any bad habits because you've never acted. Yeah. So we want to start you a different way than we've started anybody else because you have the same instincts that, and I didn't realize at first who he was talking about, that Monty, Marlon, and Jimmy had. Oh, wow. It was Monty Cliff, Marlon Brown, and Jimmy. So I said, well, I know who Jimmy Dean is. I know, and I know, I know who all of them are, but I'm not a movie buff. I just started going to movies last year or three years ago to really know who the movie people were. I said, "Uh, well, what is it? He said, you're not into acting. You're just into being. Uh So here's what we'd like you to do. The first year you're here with us, we want you to only work on scenes where you have no dialogue. Yeah. Where you just learn to react and behave. You did that for a year? So you don't have the obligation yeah. of dialogue. Uh-huh. So you'll learn your instrument. We'll train your instrument. Uh-huh. And and also I want to put you under contract. So yeah. So I worked for him. Well, the first play that I did was called Shadow of a Gunman. Uh-huh. And it was a Sean O'Casey play about the IRA early revolution yeah. in 1917. And it was on Broadway. And it was the first time the actor's studio had ever done a play on Broadway. Uh, the group theater did, but yeah. never big time, big Broadway theater with big producers. Sure. Group theater did like I mean, Odette stuff. Joel Shanker was our uh, producer and he was the head of U.S. Steel, so he's the backed it and everything. So uh, there was a guy who directed it named Jack Garfine. He had done a little play off Broadway called End is a Man. Uh huh. They moved it to Broadway. Yeah. And within three months after being on Broadway, all seven guys became major movie stars out of that play. The Guidos, Tony Franciosa, Michael Gazzo, yeah. Ben Gazzara, yeah. Paul Newman, yep. George Pappard, and a guy named Arthur Storch, who was kind of a comedian, and a guy named Jeffrey Horn, who was Canadian. Yeah. But uh, he uh, 
was in that too as a young man and then they had to take him out of that play because he went he's the kid that blew up the bridge and bridge on the river Kwai. oh yeah so this was john garfine the director jack garfine, jack garfine? g-a-r-f-e-i-n yeah and uh so lee came in after 17 days along yeah. with gadge to see rehearsal yeah we were still sitting at the table oh yeah reading yeah and lee said jack what is this yeah and Jack said, well, we're still working on relationships. He said, Gadge, we open on Broadway in eight days. <laughs> yeah. He said, you're done here. Oh, wow. Right in front of the eight of us. And he said, you guys, meaning us eight, yeah. you go on, have a lunch and be back here, and I'm going to stage this son of a bitch between one and five, okay? This was uh, Gazan. Yeah, Gazan. No, this is Strasburg? Lee. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, the stars of the play were an actor named Bill Smithers, yeah. Gerald O'Loughlin, and Susan Strasberg, mm. who was Lee's daughter, yeah. who had, uh, she was only 18, but for four years she had been the darling of the American theater because she played Anne Frank on Broadway, yeah, and that made her a star. And she had one summer off from the play and she came to Hollywood and got nominated for an Oscar in her first movie because she's the little tomboy girlfriend in Picnic uh, of uh, right. William Holden. Yeah. And uh, Kim Novak yeah. was the other star. You know? So how'd the play go ultimately? So anyway, so he puts the play together. We all go home. We all come back the next day and immediately we just start doing the play. Yeah. He couldn't give a fuck about relationships. If you don't have a relationship with him after 17 fucking days. And the sad thing for Jack was, when we came back from our little lunches wherever yeah. we went, and I'm a gambler, so I'm betting sports all the time, so I came back and uh, Jack was outside asking us not to go in. Right. Not to a continue strike. on. Because yeah. he discovered us and he was, well, yeah. he didn't discover Susie, obviously. Right. So... Um, we went in, and uh, eight days later, the play opened. Mrs. It was a Sean O'Casey play, and Mrs. O'Casey had come all the way from Ireland to see it. Yeah. Because uh, it's a great, it's about two poets yeah. who live with a young girl, and they think that they are IRA people because they're very left kind of poets, Yeah. so they want them dead. Yeah. So they just want to catch them at something. Yeah. Well, they have a friend who's on stage, who was me, who's on stage 52 seconds. And I come on and I'm all nervous and everything and they know I'm kind of an IRI guy, but I know them because I tried to be a poet and all that shit. And uh, so I say, can I leave my bag here and everything and yeah. I'll come back and pick it up tomorrow, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's fine. So I leave. And then the next day, they pick up the newspaper and they read that uh, Daniel McGuire, I think my name was. Daniel McGuire is found dead in his loft because he was making explosives. Yeah. And the police knock on the door the minute they're reading that in the Dublin newspaper. Yeah. And they knock on the door, and the bag I left is in the corner. And they go and they say, Whose bag's this? Well, we have a friend, and he left his bag filled with bombs. Yeah. And so, yeah. and even though I'm dead and yeah. gone, I'm like a linchpin of the play. And Walter Kerr, um, uh, uh, there were two reviews. The, yeah. the, the good one was from uh, Brooks Atkinson that said, you know, I'm not encouraging you to see this play yeah. because it's the best play you'll ever see. It's not, but the work from this company on Broadway is work you've never seen before. Oh, wow. The actors are so yeah. real and so believable. And uh, so I suggest you go see the work itself because nice. the actor studio yeah. has finally reared its head and this is who they are. Oh, wow. And so uh, I was quite excited about that. And that got you out here? I had a long time getting to where I've gotten. Sure. And um, I'm not stopping. I, uh, they say, what are you going to do to retire? Retire. <laughs> What the fuck am I going to do if I retire? <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because the first day I went to work for Roger Corman, uh, 1966, uh, Peter found me and Nancy Sinatra. We were the stars of movies called Wild Angels. It yeah. was a biker film. Yeah, sure. And Nancy had just sang her song, so yeah. that's the song in the movie. These boots are made for walking. Yeah, it's a driving movie. Yeah, but. Uh, 
So that's what we were doing. Yeah. My camera operator was Francis Coppola. It, the focus from, puller was Jonathan Demi. At Corman. The prop, yeah. Yeah. There's Corman directing yeah, this. Yeah. The uh, prop guy was Joe Dante. Right. <laughs> and so we all went to the University of Corman. Sure. And we were there four years because he gave us leads in movies. Yeah. And put our names above the title. Yeah. And gave us parts that were just written, you know. And, I interviewed, uh, yeah, I talked to Corman. He's a character. Oh, man. he's terrific. So. Um, You're doing TV too, right? Oh, that's all I did. You know, I, I just want, all, all we want to do is get in movies. Yeah. I'm doing every episodic show. Yeah. Uh, like all the when classics. When I went to read. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Was way back at, in Easter Sunday of uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And Quentin, I went up to his house to read. It was just him and me. And he says, sit out here and read it, and uh, I wrote this thing for you, and you should do, see it and do yeah. it. So uh, I, I read it. He said, go out on the balcony. And then after about an hour of reading, I was. he said, where are you in the script? And I said, well, I'm at this point. Oh, well, come inside a second. Yeah. I go in his living room. Yeah. He puts on his huge movie screen. My episode from Lancer. I did two Lancers. What was that? And that's who Leo is playing. Because the guy he's playing it with is James Stacy. Yeah. And James <laughs> Stacy was Lancer. Right. And James Stacy was a big television star. Yeah, so this is 68, and 69. Yeah. And so what happens is when uh, we did this episode of Lancer. Yeah. Um, and so Quentin's Once Upon a Time variation of it. So Oliphant plays that guy? Huh? Timothy Oliphant plays the yeah, guy who played Lancer? Plays, yeah. yeah, plays the Lancer yeah. character. Plays right. Jim Stacy. Yeah. So at the end of his scene, you'll notice that he gets on a motorcycle. Yeah. Oliphant does and yeah. drives off the set, yeah. off the lot. Yeah. Well, two weeks after that in real life, Jim got on his motorcycle, drove off the lot, and had an accident, lost his arm and his leg. Huh. He was laying there. He wasn't dead. He was responsive. But, they, you know, the people got him. wasn't on the set. He was on the streets. And uh, they knew who he was and everything. And, they, you know, they had to take him emergency and everything. And yeah. he said, I need somebody to notify I mean, he didn't have them cut off there. They cut them off in two hours when they got to the hospital, yeah. you know. Uh, so somebody had to go out. And when he had done Lancer, it was a Disney show, uh, they built him a huge elaborate motorhome that he could live in out on the Disney ranch, Golden Oak. Yeah. Because that's where they shot all the exteriors of the episode. So he didn't have to go back and forth, and I say shot out there. And somebody had to go back, knock on the door, because there were no cell phones or yeah. anything, and tell his wife what had happened yeah. to him. Well, they had to knock the, uh, on the door and tell Connie Stevens that her husband had lost his arm and his leg. Wow. He was married to Connie Stevens no kidding. when she was the biggest star in the world. Wow. And it was all about Jim Stacy. So Quentin, in tribute to Jim, yeah. puts that in the movie. And Jim's my era. I mean, Jim yeah. would have been a, as big a star as you could be because he was a good-looking kid. Yeah. And there was another kid at the same time named... Uh, Oh, what the hell is his name? Uh, Christopher Jones. And he had done a series called Billy the Kid and a movie called Wild in the Streets, yeah. which was a Corman-type movie. Yeah. And then he got a huge part in a movie, went and did it, because uh, that kid, Chris Jones, was the star of Ryan's Daughter for uh -huh. David Lean yeah. and never worked a day again <laughs> and lost his mind and I I don't think he's dead, but his wife was Susan Strasberg. Oh my God, everything's connected. And they, ha and they have a daughter <laughs> yeah. named Jenny, yeah. who's uh, Laura's friend. Well, uh, when he started doing the movies, did so, you had you met Hitchcock when he did the TV show? Oh, uh, I did meet him once. I did uh, an episode of that yeah. thing that he was would come on the set every day. Yeah. What people don't, it was an hour show. Yeah. 
he did every half hour show himself. Yeah. And what pissed uh, Brian Hutton, uh, uh, Sidney Pollack, Mark Rydell, Bob Butler, a lot of these directors under contract at Universal then, they got pissed off because of Hitch. Because Hitch made Psycho on the back lot for 590 grand. Yeah. And they said, if Hitch can do it, you can do it. Right. So they were their staff of up and coming movie directors. Right. So that's all I got, seven fifty to make a movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so that was cheap, so they never, you know, right. loved him. But so that's when I met Hitch. And then he put me in Marnie, yep. which was sixty three. Yeah. I remember you from like the I saw the Cowboys when I was a kid. Hmm. Which it- <laughs> And that was the that, day I shot him. Yeah. He'd never been shot. John Wayne? Yeah. Yeah. Never been shot. Yeah. Never been killed. Right. You know. <laughs> so they're putting bullet hits on him yeah. for that scene. Yeah. And I went to Mark Rydell and I said, Look, let's do something he doesn't expect. Yeah. He doesn't expect. And Mark said, Well, what is it? I said, Lay it on me. Blame it on me. Yeah. And he'll just say to you, well I won't go into it but he just you know he'll turn on you but you can tell him no it was me and I'll say let's put a bullet hit in his back yeah so when he walks away from me the first shot is in his back and he did not know it was coming yeah he didn't know they put a bullet hit in his back he went down like a pro the scene went on afterward he got up he said Mr. Rydell (laughs) yes sir where are you from? Oh, I'm 166th in the Grand Concourse. It's yeah. up in the Bronx in New York. How far did you have to walk to see a real cowboy? And he said, well, it's usually go down to the Strand Theater and we saw you on Saturday afternoons. Yeah. He said, who gave you permission to put the thing in my back? He said, the guy that pulled the trigger. And I said, I did, Duke. And he says, Oh, how they're going to hate you for this. They're going to hate you so much for this. And I said, really? Well, in Berkeley, I'm a fucking hero. <laughs> he put his arm around me. He said to the whole 80 people, you know, where we, the yeah. scene where we shot him. Yeah. And he said, that's why this prick is in my movie. Because he understands bad guys are funny. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about them 150 years later. Wow. They had senses of humor. Yeah. They were stars in their own right. Sure. And uh, so the lucky thing for us when we came to Hollywood, we still got to work with the legends. Yeah. You can't be a legend today. I mean, come on. Yeah. There's not a soul doesn't know what you do after school. Sure. So, I mean, then you didn't know anything. I didn't know Clark Grable rode a motorcycle. Yeah. I didn't know any of that shit. Yeah. And uh, so we get legendary awards and stuff, but we're not legends. Well, yeah, you were in that transition period. They were all still around. They were still around and working. Yeah. Yeah. I worked with him. I worked with the most enlightening guy we worked with. We did a wonderful movie you might have seen. It's called That Championship Season. Sure, yeah. It starred Mitchum and me and Jason, I mean, and uh, Martin Sheen, Paul Sorvino, and, and uh, Stacy Keach. And you guys were the young guys. And, yeah. And, and Mitchum and, was well, the, we're the basketball team. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Mitchum was the coach. Yeah. And it's a true story because that. Scranton Central was a high school. Yeah. And they upset in the state championship. They had 40 boys in the high school. It's just a technical trade school where the hoodlum kids go to learn a trade. Yeah. Instead of going to jail, they're sent to the trade school. Right. Well, they could play baskets and they'd play together since they were littler hoodlums. Mm -hmm. So they went and they played in the state championship. And it was Wilt's senior year at Overbrook and he'd never lost a game in high school in four years. And they beat him because they went four corner stall because the priest who was their coach, who was Mitchum. Yeah. He goes up to Paul Sorvino, who was the center. Yeah. And he said on the tip-off, break Wilt's nose. So he went up, Wilt's nose, he's out of the game. So now we only play five other guys, but they don't have a seven-foot, one-inch guy. Yeah. And then you could play four corners and stall. That's a true story. So they just stalled all the game, and they won 45 to 40. And what was Mitchum like? Uh, He had... Better stories than we will ever come up with. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had, you know, he had the story about, uh, you saw The Godfather. Yeah. 
Well, that guy, Harry Cohn, yeah. who was John Marley in the movie, right. is uh, uh, the guy that had the horse's head right. cut off. Well, that was Harry Cohn. Right, and from L.A. that was because Sinatra wasn't, they didn't want Sinatra in The Godfather. Right. I mean, uh, in, uh, from Hugh Returner. Right. And so uh, they, he went to see him and tried to make him an offer for Frank, you know, that you yeah. can't refuse. And yeah. so they cut his head off and put him in the bed. Well... It's interesting because by that time, we're talking early 70s now, yeah. Francis is a star. Yeah. Bagdanovich, who was the second unit cameraman on Wild Angels and The Trip, another Corman yeah. movie. He was just a second unit guy, and he was a critic from Chicago, yeah. really, but he wanted to direct. He yeah. never directed a movie. Right. And so all those guys, were all there at the same time. Yeah. And we don't know we're getting an education right. for that. We got $250 a day for 10 days. So you got, you know, $2,500. Yeah. And a box lunch. Uh, No lunch period. They just, it's like working in in Europe. You know, they walk around with food all day long and uh, platters so you don't (laughs) lose the hour every day. And uh, so that was what uh, all that was like. So now in my career, when Kazan put me on the plane to come out to California, he said, understand something. You're going to get out there, and you have a very unique talent now because we've had you for two years, and you're ready to be on the screen. You're not a leading man. I'm 25. You're not a leading man. You're never going to be a leading man, so no one's going to know who the hell you are until you're in your 60s. I said, Gadge, I'm 25 years old. (laughs) He said, you've had a career as a runner. You're all over the place in all these magazines and everything. I said, but I'm not a runner anymore. He said, but you can endure. And this business is about endurance. And because you have this quality of interjecting things, Nicholson named them Dernseys. Mm -hmm. They're little things. There's the best one I ever did is in Nebraska. And the second best one I do in, uh, did you see Once Upon a Time? Yeah. Okay. In the scene. And Quentin and I go back a ways. Yeah. So he lets me. You've been in a few of his movies. uh, Three. Yeah. Uh, Django, I played a bit. And yeah. Hateful Eight, I yeah. played the general, and then this. And uh, so he said, uh, uh, I go up to him, and Kazan said to me when he put me on the plane, when you get out there, never ever tell a director what you're going to do and take one, ever. Don't go up to him and say, I need permission, yeah. or I'd like to do this or that. Don't do it. I said, how the hell am I going to get away with that? He said, because the director's got something you'll never have. I said, really, what's that? Take two. <laughs> so if you don't get it in one you're never going to get it yeah. and don't go up and tell them because I hate it because it didn't come from them yeah. so just that was the first one the second thing is he said when you get out there because of your stature you're going to be the fifth cowboy from the right for a decade yeah. live with it endure <laughs> it but make sure you're the most authentically unique fifth cowboy from the right anybody ever saw. Never stop inventing. Yeah. When I got permission to start doing it, the first time I did it in a big movie was Nicholson directed a movie called Drive, he yeah. said. And uh, I won the National Film Critics Award yeah. for it. And uh, Jack directed it. And nobody ever went and saw it. They took it to Cannes, and Mick Jagger's kid cried all the way through it, so that's why Jack said no one ever gave a shit about it. (laughs) But anyway, so uh, we were walking down a hall. I played a basketball coach, and the team is about, it's about a small college team going to the Final Four. Yeah. And we were that small college. And we used University of Oregon to shoot it all in 71 where they were in the heyday. Yeah. The day we started shooting was the night after they upset UCLA and broke their 87-game winning streak. I'm walking down the hall with my assistant coach. And two little cheerleaders come whipping down the hall. One was Cindy Williams. Yeah, oh yeah. Laverne and Shirley, yeah. And the other one was a girlfriend, Mimi Michu of Jack's, who yeah. was a girlfriend for all. And they were the two cheerleaders. Yeah. And uh, they were just extras in the movie. And as they went by, I just, my fingers uh, were down here, but I just went. Snap. Just snapped my fingers yeah. twice. He cut the camera and he said, that, boys and girls, is a Dernsey. He's been doing that for a long time. But now he gave it to me and put it in my movie. Uh, he does that. Yeah. But he doesn't rehearse it and he doesn't do it. Uh, 
he doesn't really know what he's going to do beforehand. He's in the moment. It yeah. just happens, and he brings it yeah. out. And that's with the switch on. So you're getting the real deal. So now we cut to years later, and I go to Alexander Payne said, you know what? I don't have a Dernsey in my movie. <laughs> he knew about and, it. Because he writes pretty good. Sure. You don't need to put Dernseys in, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so I come to him, and did you see Nebraska? Mm-hmm. Okay. We go up into my old house after the dinner where she tells everyone to go fuck themselves. Yeah. You know, we drive to the old house and we go upstairs and we look into a bedroom and it's uh, my old bedroom. And yeah. the wife says to Will Forte and Odenkirk, the two brothers that are with me, uh, sons, and they say, uh, she says, this is Woody's room. And uh, he slept with David. You were named after him, his little brother. And he slept in the same bed with him for a year and never got the disease. And Will turns to me and says, you remember that, Dad? And there's no line. It's a cut. And we go into the next bedroom, or my parents' bedroom. And uh, I go to Alexander. I said, okay, uh, you want a Dernsey? I said, yeah. How long will you need? Three seconds. He said, uh, I know not to ask you, you're famous, you're not going to tell me what it is, but uh, uh, I said, just don't cut the camera for three seconds later than you've been cutting it in the first take. We hadn't yeah. done a take yet, yeah. and, uh, but in the rehearsal, you said cut, and now we're on. Right. So we go into the room, and uh, he said, the story is like it says, and then he says, do you remember that, Dad? And I said... I was there. And Alexander said, I can't write that. It just happens. <laughs> so we get with Quentin on The Hateful Eight. Yeah. And I throw in a couple of Dernseys yeah. and he just lets them go. Yeah. And then finally I uh, put a Dernsey in. And uh, it's where Channing Tatum's about to kill me. He's got the gun on me. Yeah. And then uh, he doesn't do it. He said, good answer, old man, and puts his gun down. And I told Quentin, give me a second there. He said, Dernsey. I said, yes. And uh, so he says, that's quick thinking, old man, and you're okay. And I said, thank you, because he's saving my life. Yeah. And, uh, well, I won't say the names, but two of the combatants with me raised their hands and said why does he get to say stuff that's not in the script yeah he says you don't do that he says we could do that no you can't i've had each one in five movies you can't do that you don't do that <laughs> it's not that you can't but you don't you know yeah he says well why is it he said alexander Payne will tell you the same thing um no one can write the shit that comes out of his mouth. You can't write that because it's on the moment, in the moment. Yeah. What was the so one in Once Upon a Time what, in Hollywood? What the one? Uh, the, oh, the one in Once Upon a Time in it Hollywood. Dealt, let me ask you something. It looked like you and Brad Pitt were about to laugh. Uh, like there was a moment. Well, there. he was. Yeah. <laughs> because he'd, he'd seen a scene. You know, yeah. I mean, we'd been working on a scene. He was yeah. laughing all the time. He didn't expect it. He didn't know what to expect. Yeah. But he knew that. Uh, you know, he he was excited to work with me, and because of whatever it is he thought that I brought, and so what it was is uh, he finally wakes me up, and I come to him, and he's shaking me. I said, oh, "I don't. Who are you? I don't know who the fuck you are." <laughs> and then he gets kind of independent and everything, yeah. and a little shaky. He says, "Well, George, I want to so forth and so on," and uh, I grab him, yeah, and I say, "Who are you?" Yeah. And uh, he was stunned at that. We had to cut there because he said, he just asked me a question. That's in the script, but he asked it in such a way. He said, that's what he does. And Quinn goes, duh, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why he's here, so forth and so on. So then I, I do that, and he says, uh, uh, he says, well, George, I'm just, you know, Cliff Booth and so forth and so on. And then he starts explaining. I said, I don't know who you are. And I grab his lapel and I said, but you did something really nice today. And it touched me. You came to see me. That was not in there. Yeah. Well, it took me 45 years 
to know that that would be okay because you don't do that. Sure. But I've never once had a director say to me and not use the take. Yeah. Because that's what it is. And it's movie after movie after movie. And in Freaks, there's a ton of them with the little girl selling her ice cream and oh, all yeah. that stuff. You yeah. know? My career changed with Nebraska. Yeah. Because at uh, 79 years old, Alexander wrote a script for me at 75. Yeah. It took us 10 years to get it made. Yeah. Because no one wanted to make it in black and white. And no one really wanted to make it with me. And so he couldn't get it made. So he went and he made... About Schmidt. Yeah. With Jack and, yeah. you know, Kathy Bates and sure. all. And then he came back. He couldn't make it again. No one wanted to make it because the package was black and white with me. Yeah. And so they didn't want to make it. So he went and made The Descendants. Yeah. Uh, no, he went and made Sideways. Oh, that's a good movie. And then, same thing again, another three years, and he went and made The Descendants. Yeah. And then he came back and he said, Paramount's going to give me enough money to make the movie in black and white with you, okay? But they took 15 million out of our budget. So I said, well, can't you make a movie for $10 million? <laughs> and he said, of course I can. And it's in black and white. Yeah. And that was the first time after people having seen me for 45 years, yeah. 50 years yeah. almost, yeah, no, 50, I've done 62, so 55 years. Yeah. See me have a story about me. Yeah. I had it in Silent Running, I had it in a few other Oof, movies, that movie was but heavy. I never had a movie that was like this. And I took that movie for one reason, and this is why I'm an actor, Yeah. and why I'll always keep acting until I'm, I'm trying to get to, you know, three digits. Yeah. And uh, so that means I got 17 years. Yeah, why but is it? But I like to do stuff that people haven't had a chance to do because I don't do movies about guys my age. Right. You know, even if they're small roles, I don't care. If there's a chance to be real and be kind of a linchpin in a movie, I'll do it. Well, George Spawn's kind of linchpin because from the time Brad gets out of his car on that ranch, yeah. the movie changes. Yes, it does. Because once they start following him to come up to see yeah. me, then you wonder what it is that's going on. And the uh, so the, the, that was the one uh, Dernsey. And the other Dernsey is he says, well, uh, you know, you sure it's okay with this, this squeaky, the red-haired yeah. girl and everything? I'd already told him I'm yeah. fucking blind. What, how do I know what color hair she is? So uh, he says, uh, I said, hey, bud, <laughs> squeaky loves me. And then I kind of dropped back in my bed and I said, so suck on that. <laughs> Wow, I love that, you know, because that's the whole thing, and that's a Dernsey. But it's it's not that he couldn't write that; he just didn't write it. But that's and a so but that makes the character sure. But those I, moments that you live for those things, yeah, right? Well, that's why you keep on doing it. Yeah, because you want to find things that are unique. Yeah, uh, unique approaches. Well, you always comes had from your, like, twenty years of never having more than seven lines in a movie. Period. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jack and I, I was never billed on the screen. I wasn't even billed on the screen in Wild River, my first movie, which was for Mr. Kazan. Yeah. Starred Montgomery, Cliff, Lee Remick, and Joe Van Fleet. Yeah. And uh, it was about the TVA, an old lady who wouldn't move off her island when they flooded the Chickamauga Dam. Yeah, right, right. She wouldn't move because her family had been there 200 years. And, no, and that's what that movie And you didn't get any credit. Uh, no. no, he didn't. He forgot. He says, oh, I just forgot. And uh, coming home was a big one. Oh yeah, well that was uh, seventeen years later. Yeah. No, I've had uh, uh, the the movies that I'm proudest of. Yeah. I'm proudest of a movie called Smile. Yeah. Because it's a wonderful teenage beauty pageant movie. It's about the teenage Miss America. Yeah. I mean, uh, Junior Miss pageant. Yeah. And um, Barbara Feldon is my co-star. Yeah. Car ninety nine. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. And smart uh, too. And then. I love coming home. Oh, yeah. Now, I thought the Gatsby we did was a good version of Gatsby. With Redford? But, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Redford, Mia, me, and Sam Waterston. Yeah. We were the four people. And uh, I love Walter Hill. Oh, yeah. So, I like The Driver. Yeah. Because it's a good movie. Yeah. And Ryan is very good in it. Yeah. You know? And everybody, no one has a name. I'm the, uh, he's the driver, I'm the detective, she's the player, he's, you know, so forth and so on. That's Walter Hill. And people say, 
well, you know, but what's he really done? He, he never does anything that's funny or anything. I said, cut off. What are you talking about? Shut the fuck up. Yeah. He directed 48 Hours. Was yeah. that funny? Yeah. Wonderful guy. What about uh, uh, They Shoot Horses? Very, very good. I mean, yeah. That's another one uh, that I was in. Early Pollock. And, He's great. And, and his second movie. Yeah. Do and, you love uh, him? I had done his, no, it was his third movie. His second movie I've been to was called Castle Keep. Yeah. Starred Burt Lancaster and listen to this cast. Patrick O'Neill, uh, Michael Conrad, yeah. P- Peter Falk, Tony yeah. Bill, Bruce Dern, Scott Wilson, James Patterson, Jean-Pierre Amont, and Marty Baum uh, produced it for yeah. Seven Arts. But Gig Young won the Oscar for it. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, this is a great part. Ah, uh, yeah, he was one of yowza, yowza, yowza. But the Pollock, but, Pollock was a good actor, too, I thought. Yeah, well, he was good in Tootsie. Yeah. Well, it's great that you're anyway, still working. You, you've been wonderful. I mean, the homework you've done and uh, your face, your enthusiasm, I mean, you just draw shit out of me, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate it. Well, thanks but, for uh, talking. I feel like we could I, do I a wrote whole... a book yeah. uh, 11 years ago. It's all in there. It's called Things I've Said But Probably Shouldn't Have. Well, yeah. And uh, John Wiley and Sons produced, yeah. uh, published Well, whatever we didn't cover, I'll just read aloud at oh, the beginning. Uh, well, read it, because what is good is I didn't change a name. Yeah. Every name is the same. Well, you're great, and I've always been a big fan, and it, oh, they, now I understand you a little better. Well, I, I you know, I, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote yeah. I like. My daughter, Laura. I, to- I talked yeah. to her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like And her. her mother, Diane Ladd. Yeah are the only family in the history of this business to all have stars on Hollywood Boulevard. Mm. Other families, but never mother, father, child. Mm. And uh, there's eight Oscar nominations there. Mm. And Diane and Laura both nominated Best Actress, Best Support Actress from the same movie. Mm-hmm. And I saw that one, movie. It's called Rambling Rose. Yeah, beautiful. And then again in Wild at Heart, but Diane got nominated, Laura didn't. Yeah. But Rambling Rose was great. You know, Duval and Diane. Oh, yeah, Mary, it's great. Right? It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm very proud of Laura. She's done good. Diane, you know, she still has a career and she still works a lot and everything. But uh, I uh, I enjoy when somebody, the only other guy who's done as almost as good homework as you, not quite as good. Yeah. Is Michael DeBar? Yeah, because he has a show similar to this. Oh, does he? What she does in England, Drive Time. Uh huh. So you're on the phone, oh, and yeah, the people are driving to yeah, work. Yeah, sure. And you're at eight o'clock at yeah. night, and they're on the way to work. And he's very good too. And when he first interviewed, I didn't have a clue who he was. Yeah. And I didn't realize he was big stuff. Yeah. I mean, he replaced Sting. Oh. And the police, <laughs> and then he went on had a big career of yeah. his own. Yeah. And his wife wrote the book. I am with the band. Yeah. Pamela DeBar. Pamela DeBar, you must have known her in the 70s. Oh, she was yeah. Well, I didn't know her much. Yeah. But uh, she, was, he was, she was big stuff. Sure. And so was he. he. She just emailed me. I think she wants to talk. Well, she's around. Oh, yeah. she'd love to talk. She's yeah. wonderful. Of the people you want to talk to, she is one because uh, she's been there. Yeah. She knows where all the bodies are buried. Yeah, she, she's, no, but, and she's a good name and bright. Oh, yeah. Very, very. I met her at, uh, I think I met her at the Zappa house. Briefly. Oh, and how cool was he? Yeah, I didn't know him, but I knew oh, Moon. I he knew, was, I knew he was, was a, cool. Yeah. Three times in my life, I had a lunch. Once a year. Uh, once in uh, one year, then it was three years for the next one. Then the next year, it was so on. Four years, we had uh, three lunches. Five yeah. years, we had three lunches. He's Bob a- Fosse, me, and George Carlin. Oh, yeah. How yeah. about that? Yeah, he was sharp, oh, huh? George Carlin, he yeah. got it. Yeah, he's and, great. And Zappa got it. Yeah. And Fosse got it. Sure. You know. You still talk to Jack? Uh, occasionally, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, he calls me, you know, a couple times a year and says, you want to go to the basket and everything? And I said, uh, I don't know. Can I go in the limo? <laughs> yeah, darn, sir. Get on over here. Come on. <laughs> go down and see. I, I'm sure I'll get a call this year because he wants to see the two guys together, you know, yeah. and see how they perform. But I love him. He is... Uh, he did something for me. It's the last thing I'll yeah. tell you. We did a movie. It's a very good one I'm proud of, too. I forgot. Called The King of Marvin Garden. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's one. That's a Rafelson movie. Yeah. And How's uh, he doing? Bob, you talked to him? Uh, he's he's in Aspen. He's yeah. he's okay. Okay. But he's, uh, 
It's tough. Yeah. But he's a great interview, but I don't know now. Yeah, I you hear know? you. But yeah. he's a, such a good guy and such a good director. Yeah. And Marvin Garden's a good movie. In the movie, there's a scene where we crown... I live with two women, Ellen Burstyn and this girl, uh, yeah. Julianne Robinson. And Jack is my brother. And yeah. I have him come visit me in Atlantic City to start a dream about gambling. This is before gambling was there. Mm-hmm. The last shot of the movie is the wrecking ball hitting the Traymore Hotel. Yeah. For real. Because that was our last day of work there. Yeah. The day they brought it in. And uh, so Jack sings the Miss America song. Here she is. Yeah. And we give her the little crown and I'm out driving this little golf cart that we're going to drive into the place and out of. Yeah. The whole place is empty. Yeah. Seats 28,000 people. Wow. They used to play indoor football there. Yeah. You know, CW Post used to play home games here. <laughs> and so in Atlantic City. So uh, we're, uh, he's finished. She's got the Miss America crown. I pull the cart up, the golf cart. And uh, Jack climbs in next to me. And I'm driving, he's next to me, and Julianne gets in the back seat, and Ellen Burstyn's running because the car's going maybe two miles an hour. Yeah. And she grabs the seat, gets on, and falls off. Uh. Jack, I stopped the car immediately. He put his hand on my arm, and he said, are you all right? Friend for the rest of my life. I mean, he knew that what I was going through was just as important as what she was going through. Yeah. But I was the perpetrator, so to speak. Right. And that made me uh, forever indebted to him. I mean, I just, he's a class act. Also, he's as good a partner as I've ever had in movies. I've had some good partners. Oddly enough, Robert Shaw was a pretty good partner. Oh, he's great. And he's, Robert Shaw was yeah. the captain yeah. in Jaws. Great, great actor, yeah. yeah. And this was in Black Sunday where I had to blow up the Super Bowl. Yeah. I had to kill John Wayne and two years later I blew up the Super Bowl. I mean, get away from that in a career, you know. (laughs) Thanks, man. uh, Thank you, and thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Wild, right? That was wild. Fucking Bruce Dern, man. Bruce fucking Dern. Loved it. Loved that talk. Glad we made it up the stairs. Didn't know if I was going to get him down. Uh, the movie he's in right now, aside from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is Freaks, which uh, opens in theaters this Friday. I'm going to play my Stratocaster straight in to the uh, Dirty Old Man amp, 58, 57, 58, Fender Deluxe, through a classic Crybaby Wawa pedal. That's all that's happening here, Okay. Boomer lives. Boomer lives.